Oh, no, sure. It's no problem at all. I just, I feel bad because I, I, I truly, I don't, I can, I don't have a, uh, I don't have a good apologetic for the Pope at the moment. <laughs> no, no, no. That's, that is fine. Hey, maybe there isn't one. Maybe there isn't one. <laughs> and that's okay, right? I mean, that shouldn't, that shouldn't blow our heads off or anything that there's not one, but, uh, eh. Okay, well, before we dive into that. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to welcome you to our second episode of What is Pope Francis Saying Now? We have our uh, co-hosts, Luke and J.D. Flynn, and I am Michael Gormley, uh, the founder of layevangelist.com. So what we want to talk about today is Pope Francis's latest uh, interesting thing that happened. It wasn't a... Recorded conversation on an airplane. This time it was in the form of a two-page letter that uh, the Pope wrote to the Argentine bishops um, praising their their draft document that he received, which puts into practice some of his, his uh, the joy of love, um, some of his suggestions on how to uh, concretely deal with those who are struggling or who find themselves in, who are Catholic marriage, civilly, divorced and civilly remarried how can they take steps towards pastoral care that might eventually lead to uh the reception of holy communion um for those of you who uh don't know essentially the the statements were uh, the pope's letter to the bishop said that they accurately explained what uh the joy of love taught and captured its full meaning and there are no other interpretations that comes from Cindy Wood of Catholic News Service so event uh ultimately the bishops say in this in this specific circumstance we're telling our priests that those who are divorced and civilly remarried so not married in the church they've not been granted an annulment for their previous bond that they can uh eventually be led into reception of holy uh, of Holy Communion without continence, that is, without abstaining from sexual union, without getting annulments or anything like that, that they can, in their present state of being remarried civilly, receive be led to receiving Holy Communion. Uh, would you say that's accurate, JD? Uh, yeah, I think I think so. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and and I think you know, in some ways, to to, to understand the big picture here, it helps. It, it's helped me a little bit to back up um, yeah. to to John Paul II, who who often helps me. Um, He's so things. good. First of all, so good. Yeah, he's real good. Real, real good. The man's the man's a saint. I tell you. <laughs> so, to, to two uh, to two John Paul II things. The first is Familiaris Consortio, which is uh, a document of John Paul II on uh, on family life and 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 the relationship of the family to the church. It's a beautiful document, and it addresses this question of of people who are divorced and civilly remarried who um, who don't have an annulment. They didn't get an annulment, and that could be that they petitioned for an annulment and they got a negative decision. You know, there wasn't proof of nullity in their marriage, or it could be that for various reasons, pursuing an annulment is uh, you know, even having the ability to pursue the annulment is an impossibility, and and there are reasons for that. And and John Paul says, look, in those situations, the church always going back to going back to the gospel, going back to Jesus. I mean, really, got to back up past Jesus to the woman at the well, and and and, and our Lord when he he meets this woman at the well, and he has a profound encounter with her, and he he calls her to conversion. He says, you have five husbands, and the man you're living with now is is not your husband. Jesus is is calling her to 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 reconcile herself to the reality of her situation, and that's hard, right? Because the reality of her situation. Is hard. It's messy. Uh, it's, it's complicated. Five husbands sounds complicated to me. So Jesus calls her to reconcile herself to the reality of her situation, and he offers her grace, and he, he accompanies her, and he, he's present with her, and calls her to conversion also in that in that moment. 
and John Paul and Familiaris Consortio looks at that and looks at the, the, the church's understanding of that historically and says, we presume that marriage is valid. When two people say, I do, assuming that the form of the marriage has been observed and all those other things, we, we presume that the marriage is, is valid unless we have clear and demonstrable reason to presume otherwise. And in the absence of clear and demonstrable reason to presume otherwise, we have to presume that the marriage is valid. And if a marriage is valid, even if it's presumably, even if it's very, very very broken, marriage comes with certain obligations, and among those obligations is fidelity. And that's the reason why a person who is, even if their marriage is very, very, very broken, if, 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 it, if it's presumably valid, that's the reason why we don't remarry. Um, and if we do remarry, uh, and then we come to a conversion, we have to live in fidelity to that first marriage. And that means, um, you know, living in continence with the second, with, with the second person, the, the spouse, the consort, the church would say. Um, living in contents with them in, in fidelity to this this presumably valid vow. And that's a, that's a, obviously an incredibly difficult thing. Um, it's not meant as a punishment. It's not meant as a sort of um, chastisement for having had a messy past or a broken marriage. Um, it's not meant to exclude. It's meant to say, look, we think that marriage is a real thing, and um, and and real things have real meaning and real will come with real obligations. And even when uh, you're in a really tough situation, the obligations don't go away. And uh, actually, I heard a Kanye song that said the same thing this morning, but it was a lot more colorful, so I probably shouldn't say it now. <laughs> So real quick, I want to I want to quote from uh, Familiaris Consortio right here. It says, however, the church reaffirms her practice, which is based upon sacred scripture, which you read John chapter four of not admitting to the Eucharistic communion divorced persons who have remarried. They are unable to be admitted thereto from the fact that their state and condition of life objectively contradict that union of love between Christ and the church which is signified and affected by the Eucharist. Besides this, there's another special pastoral reason. If these people were admitted to the Eucharist, the faithful would be led into error and confusion regarding the church's teaching about the indissolubility of marriage. So there's so this the error and confusion, Pete. Yeah. No, I was just going to say, so JP2 asks for couples who find themselves in that state to enter into a time of continence until their annulment can come through or until... You know, whatever, if they want to receive Holy Eucharist. If they can't, then come to Mass, offer your spiritual sacrifices, receive a spiritual communion, but you cannot receive the Eucharist. Because the Eucharist, again, is a sign of our of our communion. And and the idea of John Paul II is not like stay in the situation where you don't come to communion. Right. Because communion is a, is, a, is a, first of all, a source of grace, but second of all, a sign of our communion with the Church and our communion with God. So it's not stay in the situation where you don't receive communion. It's, you know, um, turn, turn away from uh, objective untrue, be faithful to what to, to reality, and, and live in accord with it, um, and, and, and then come to communion. Live constantly so that you can come to communion. Because fundamentally, the, the life in communion with God, reception of Holy Eucharist and life in communion with God is more important than a sexual relationship, right? I mean, it's more important. Yeah. Um, so, so that's, that's what he's saying there in Familiaris Consortio, and that, that is, um, you know, the definitive and doctrinal teaching, doctrinal teaching of our Church. So, um, a, a more Laetitia opens up some, some confusion that's still sort of being worked out. Which is the document from by uh, Pope Francis, right? By Pope okay. Francis that okay. came out in the spring or whenever it was. Um, Morris Laetitia is, uh, you know, introduces some, just some confusion into this paradigm because it says, well, there might be people who, um, who can't get an annulment for whatever reason, who have a, a consort, they've been divorced and remarried, and they're in a profoundly difficult situation, and they may not even be subjectively culpable for it. That is, they may not even have chosen this, um, you know, or chosen this freely, or they may be in a bad situation that mitigates kind of the agency of their choice. Yeah. And those people, you know, through, through no 
fault of their own, perhaps, are in this situation, and um, and we would want them to to be able to find a way to receive communion. And that introduces some confusion because it seems to it seems like those ideas are irreconcilable. On the one hand, you're asking about living in accord with something which is objective, whatever your subjective relationship is to it. On the other hand, you're kind of measuring things based on your subjective culpability for things, whether or not you chose it. You know. It wasn't your fault, so and uh, and so that seems to introduce some confusion. And the Argentine bishops kind of, um, and it's not all the Argentine bishops. It's the pastoral area, pastoral region of Buenos Aires, which I think is like the Archdiocese of Buenos Aires, and then the diocese that are kind of the suburbs of Buenos Aires. I think uh-huh. I've never been down to the down Argentina way, but um, but they put out a guide for priests that says, first of all, it says rightly so, continence is is the the ideal. People who don't have an annulment, who are divorced or married, who are living together, continence is the ideal. It's what God calls them to. But then it says, but there might be people who can't live that and 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 it says they can't live that either because it's just how hard that it's hard or they can't live that because they might be in a situation where that would lead to the second union breaking up and that might be bad for their kids or bad for them psychologically or something like that and so they can't live that and so um the pastor needs to accompany them in a discernment that could lead to holy communion Uh, so that's what the argentine bishops say and and pope francis writes them back and says yeah that's that's the interpretation of this chapter eight of Amor Laetitia. And and it's confusing. I mean, so it's confusing because it seems to, again, ground the reception of Holy Communion in our subjective situation. Are we at fault for the situation we're in rather than the objective nature of our situation? And um, and God calls us to objectively ordered situations, objectively good situations. Pope Francis talks about in that letter, he says, he says something that I think is really beautiful. He says that, you know, pastoral ministry is about welcome, accompaniment, discernment, and integration into the life of the church. Welcome, accompaniment, discernment, and integration. And he says discernment, you know, discernment of our situation, knowing how to kind of prayerfully hear the voice of God and the voice of our own conscience is, um, is, is the one that we're the, the least good at, and we need to get better at it. And, 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 and I think that might be so. I think a lot of people need, myself included, we need to learn how to discern our situation, discern between um, situations, discern how the Lord is calling us in a better way. But it still leaves this confusion about what, how what is being said can be understood in light of the Church's unchanging doctrinal truth rooted in the Gospel. And so I think, I mean, in charity, I think we're going to be meeting that out. What Pope Francis wrote to the Argentine bishops is not the assertion of a new doctrine, or he's not, he doesn't say, well, I'm contradicting what was. He just says, but there might be situations where we sort of make exceptions to that. And it's a, it's a little bit difficult to understand how that would how that would be, why, how it is that we would understand that we would make exceptions to what we believe is God's moral law. And I think that's where a lot of people are. Is it, are we talking about moral law, which is sometimes very hard, or are we talking about kind of moral suggestions that we have some latitude and flexibility with? And um, and I think meeting that out, I mean, it's a legitimate question to ask, is the Pope right? You know, he's not officially teaching this in an infallible way, this thing that he wrote to the Argentine bishop. So is the Pope right is, a, is, a, is, an, is an okay question to ask. And we have to kind of keep keep asking that and keep trying to understand it and, and, and decide is this is what's being said consistent with what we, with what we know the doctrine of the, of the of the church and the gospel of Jesus Christ to be. Um, one of the things that I think, sorry, I'm kind of hogging the conversation here, but... Oh, no, no. That's what? Fine. <laughs> um, <laughs> One of the things that I think is that you guys both work in pastoral ministry, so you understand this. Um, there are there are I think different approaches to pastoral ministry, and different even within the same person, and different kind of different situations seem to call for different situ you know for different responses, or even kind of incline us towards different responses. But you know, there's there's a there's something about accompaniment which Pope Francis talks about, which says, yeah, you're in a really hard situation, uh, and we empathize with you and we support you in that. We need to do a much better job of empathizing and supporting, but we empathize with you and we support you in that. And um, by virtue of your baptism, 
you, which gives you all these incredible graces, the power to love as God loves, you can do the right thing. You can live in accord with the gospel always, even if it's hard, and, and even when we have responsibility to help you to do that. So that's, that's one kind of accompaniment. There's another, I think, temptation in pastoral care or inclination in pastoral care to say, wow, you're in a tough situation, and it's keeping you from feeling like you're fully included, or it's making you, it's, it's putting you in a situation of having to make some really, really hard choices. And what can we do to sort of wipe out, wipe the hard situation away? How can we hmm. solve it? You know, and, and I'm tempted in that way myself, you know? Yeah, I talk about all the time. Um, pastoral does not mean loophole. And I'm not, I'm not yeah. here looking for loopholes. I'm looking to lead your soul to God in as best as I possibly can as a fallible human being. My goal is to, is to lead you to the full gospel of Jesus Christ and set you free that way, not set you free by pretending the law doesn't exist, by pretending that an obedience of faith means, well, if you just have faith, then you don't need to be obedient. Yeah, and, and to walk alongside you. I mean, that's mm-hmm. in yeah. marriage, too, right? I mean, like, one of the hardest things to say to your spouse is, like, well, that's a hard situation. It sucks to be you. How can I help? Instead of, like, our, our natural inclination, especially as men, like, how can I fix it for you, right? Yeah. Um, you have a nail in your head. Let me take the nail right. out of your head. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And as we've learned from our wives, maybe which is a good training ground for pastoral ministry, sometimes accompaniment yeah. really is just, wow, this is really hard, and can I can I experience it with you? With you. Is, do you, your with you. Do, um, uh, you think this is a good example of when Pope Francis talks about to be in the mess of life or just to be in the mess, to smell like the sheep? Yes and no. Uh, yes and no is my answer, and this is why. One, I think yes, people are in these hard situations. We, we, we need to really roll up our sleeves and figure out. I mean, at the very least, we're talking about these questions. What What is accompaniment? What are the underlying principles of our pastoral care? How does that relate to our doctrinal teaching? What does that look like when someone is sad in front of us and we can't fix it because God's, God's the trajectory of their life and fidelity to God's truth is hard. You know, so I think one, yeah, we're entering into conversations about those things that call us all to do that. On the other hand, I, I just have to say, I, I don't say this about Pope Francis, but, but, but perhaps about others who are kind of jumping on what Pope Francis is doing and the fact that he's raising these questions. I don't know that there was a tremendous question about what the church taught on these issues in, in, in years past. And I wonder if sometimes there's, there's an intention, not by the Holy Father, but by those who I think maybe even try to willfully or unwillfully try to exploit what he's trying to do, which is open this conversation, mm-hmm. diminish the significance of moral reality. And the problem for that is, like, moral reality helps us become saints, you know? Like, and becoming <laughs> saints is hard. Yeah. I think a lot of the, a lot of the conflict over this stems a, a lot from the preeminence of Cardinal Casper, especially his book, The Gospel of the Family, where he does spend a lot of time trying to reconcile the indissolubility of marriage with divorced and civilly remarried couples receiving Holy Communion, um, which is a huge reality in Germany. There is a lot of divorce in Germany, a lot of remarriage. But he, yeah. he the, the interesting thing that he talks about in his book is he, that uh, we, we have to find a way to open these doors without violating dogmatic teaching. But the idea yeah. is the civilly remarried divorcees, they, that the church is placing intolerable burdens on them. But how can you uphold the indissolubility of marriage when someone is entering into a new marriage? And so it's yeah. just it's that that's the crux of all this. It's not I feel like the everyone is trying desperately to look for a way because our culture has so embraced divorce and remarriage. You know, here in Houston it's two eight one freedom in order to get your divorce attorney. Huh. So many people have embraced divorce and remarriage as no big deal. 
that the church has two options. Do we go counterculture or do we accommodate? And that's, I think the Pope is trying to find a great way to accommodate this reality while at the same time um, running face into dogma that, that, or face first into dogma that just can't be happened, just can't be changed. I don't know. Two things about that. One, I was talking to a guy who uh, was divorced, and, or actually he wasn't divorced, his spouse was divorced, and then they married. It was his first marriage, and they both had a kind of a conversion, and they came to realize, you know, that they weren't married, that they needed an annulment and to, and to be married in a, in, a, in a sacramental way and those kinds of things. And, and so they were instructed that they needed to live constantly if they wanted to receive the Eucharist, and they did. For, you know, I think, maybe, I don't know if they went to confession, if they failed or not, none of my business, but they strive to uphold what the church taught. And I asked the guy, kind of, what do you think about all this Pope Francis stuff? And he said, like, he, he said he didn't understand it. He said, like, the church told him to do this, so he did it. But he presumed until we had a conversation that, like, he was a child and the church was taking away his favorite toy to teach him a lesson until he got things straightened out. Uh, and he, mm-hmm. kind of, you know, he resented that, although mm-hmm. that's a catechetical failure, right? A huge catechetical failure huh. that, that, we're, that we haven't explained what this is about, what we're what we're talking about and what we're doing. And, um, and, and that's a place where, yeah, again, I'm glad the Holy Father has raised these things because it's important for us to address them. Here's the other thing. Like, okay, so a lot of this conversation about sex and like, it's an un, un, ungodly burden and morally burdensome and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, it's coming from celibate people, right? Who are saying, well, married people can't possibly not have sex. Um, <laughs> and I, I think about myself, like before I got married and how I thought like, wow, Sex, I gotta have it right now and all the time, every second. Sex, it's gonna be amazing. I didn't. Go I mean, I, just, I truly didn't understand what. <laughs> I truly <laughs> didn't understand. Sex is amazing. I love it, and I'm gonna married. And but I, I didn't understand. Like, okay, now that I know what sex is and experienced it, I think having a deeper appreciation for it, I could also understand that if for some reason I had to live constantly, I can live without this thing. Um, it's not mm-hmm. the huge thing that it's sometimes made out to be. And I think married people actually who know more about the, you know ins and outs of sex, so to speak, have an obligation to, to, to talk about that because they understand it in a way that, that celibates don't. If celibates say it's an ungodly burden not to have sex, I think married people, especially those who use NFP and know about periodic continence, can say, yeah. no, no, it can be done. It's yeah. hard, but it can be done because we, we know what the thing is, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think we're going to entitle this episode The Ins and Outs of Sex. <laughs> we, we both kind of giggled so sorry <laughs> all right perfect we hit our 25 minute mark <laughs> all right thank you guys so much yeah. uh, i'm gonna edit this thank out you, JD. Um, you're awesome jd it's always good having a friend who's a canon lawyer